Well, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ stands at the, the very center of all of human history. I want you to understand this morning that the cross of Christ was not plan B. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ was not an afterthought with God. Rather, Scripture tells us very plainly that the cross of Christ was foreordained before the, the very foundation of the world. That is to say, God determined that Jesus Christ would die for sinners before he created one thing. Here's how First Peter describes that amazing reality. It says this, He was foreknown, that is, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The notable John Stott, the author of the classic book, Basic Christianity, and the author of the book that, in my humble opinion, is, is the best book on the cross written in at least the last 100 years. John Stott says this, From Jesus' youth, indeed from his birth, the cross cast its shadow ahead of him. His death, his death was central to his mission. See, Jesus' death on the cross, we need to begin here, was horrifying Beyond all imaginations. Roman citizens, you see, were exempt from crucifixion. Did you know that? If you're a Roman citizen, you are exempt from crucifixion, except in rare cases that were completely extreme and involved the crime of treason. Cicero declared, quote, To bind a Roman citizen is a crime. To flog him is an abomination. To kill him is almost an act of murder. To crucify him is what? There is no fitting word that can possibly describe so horrible a deed. Close quote. Yet, what we learn in the New Testament for the Apostle Paul, the cross of, of the Lord Jesus Christ was at the very center of his Christian life. He said this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing except you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He went on in the book of Galatians to describe this cross-centered life. He said, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. But I think it's very plain for us today in our culture to admit this reality. Not everyone views the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ through the framework of the Apostle Paul. In fact, Paul argues this as well in the first century. He tells us that the cross is a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. And that would lead me to pose a question this morning, and that is, where, where does the cross of Jesus Christ fit into your life on this day? Is it a, a stumbling block? You see, you don't have to be a Jew today to admit that the cross is a stumbling block for you. Or are you like the Greeks, where the cross is utter foolishness to you? Or 
Are you like the Apostle Paul where you can say, I consent, I agree, I admit that the cross is at the very center of my life? The title of the message this morning is The Invincible Resurrection Power of God. And in this message, we will move very quickly as we discuss the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and move on to the good news of His resurrection and demonstrate how the resurrection of Jesus affects you and and transforms your very life. I want to ask you to join me in a word of prayer before we open God's Word together. Father, it was only a few hours ago that we were in this place on Friday evening um, reflecting on the death of your son. And oh, what a, a brutal, horrifying, bloody, painful, sacrificial death it was. As we will learn today, it, it was a, a real death. It was a death that was rooted in reality. But today, as we come to worship on Easter Sunday... We move from reflecting on the death of Jesus to rejoicing in his resurrection. And I pray that you would help each one of us, both Christian and non-Christian alike, to, to begin to see the incredible resurrection power that is found in you as you rose, as you raised your son from that grave. On the third day, I pray that you would not only show us the historical reality, but you would show us how this affects us in the daily grind of life. We live in a a confusing world. We live in a world where uh, the threat of ISIS hangs over our heads, uh, economic crisis, uh, marital problems, family problems, division. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see that the resurrection The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is what each of us needs on this day. So help us as we study your word together. And it's your son's worthy name we pray. Amen. After suffering absolutely unbearable agony on the cross, Jesus cries out with a loud voice and he yielded his spirit. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from from top to bottom, and an earthquake shook the ground. The centurion and the other men who were keeping watch over the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us, were absolutely filled with awe. I love this, this portrait that we have, this snapshot in the New Testament, as one of these men who was a part of the process of crucifying Jesus, he was suddenly cut to the quick, and he said, Truly, this was the Son of God. And so with the scene of the the bloody crucifixion fresh in your minds, I want to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament, to the pages of Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. If you're a guest with us this morning, or if you, for some reason, don't have your Bible with you, feel free to use a pew Bible in front of you and turn to page 835. Page 835. And I want to also invite you to stand with me as we do from week week to week out of respect for the authority of God's Word. Matthew chapter 27, and we will read verse 62 to the end of the chapter. This is the Word of the Lord. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, 
We remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. There are three very important realities I want to to etch onto your hearts and onto your minds today. And I, I pray that these three realities will affect you in, in a very deep way, in a very profound way. And as we leave today, you can say that I, I have been in the place of the Lord. I have, I have heard the word of the living God. These are very simple realities that uh, you can take with you today and literally remember with you for the rest of your days. The first reality is this, and it goes without saying, Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. You are no doubt aware in our culture and cultures that have preceded ours that there are those who make the claim that Jesus did not actually die. There are various theories that have been uh, developed by philosophers and even theologians and Bible scholars and primarily those who are hostile, those who express hostility toward historic Christianity. I want to begin with a, a text that you all are familiar with. It is, it is a text. It is a uh, so-called, and I put this in quotes, sacred scripture that has been popularized, especially since 9-11. The name of that text, as you might surmise, is the Quran. This is the book that is the authoritative book of every Muslim alive on this planet. Well, the Quran teaches that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. So we begin there with the Quran. Others have argued that uh, Jesus merely fainted from exhaustion on the cross, or he had been given some, sor- some form of a drug that made him have the appearance of death, that he essentially passed out, that he, he went unconscious, and then he was taken to the tomb, and after being revived by the cool, damp air of the tomb, somehow he made his way out safely. Some of you are familiar familiar with the late Christopher Hitchens. He is one of the so-called four horsemen of atheism who died a few years ago. Christopher Hitchens appeared to question the authenticity of Jesus' death with these words. He says, quote, having no reliable or consistent witnesses, and I I want you to mark that in your minds just for a moment, Mr. Hitchens says there are no reliable or consistent witnesses. If you're a student of Scripture, you will realize right off that he is dead wrong. That he is dead wrong. Having no reliable or consistent witnesses, he says, in anything like the time period needed to certify such an extraordinary claim, that is the death of Jesus, we are finally entitled to say that we have a right, if not an obligation, to respect ourselves enough to disbelieve the whole thing. Close quote. 
And so we have the, the unbelieving world beginning with the Quran that says Jesus did not actually die on the cross. We have other world religions that won't even admit that he died on a cross. One world religion, two individuals came to my front doorstep just a few weeks ago and, and confessed as I asked them, do you really believe that Jesus didn't die on a cross? He died on a stake? And I was happy to see that they had at least a, a certain measure of integrity. And they said, yeah, that's, that's true. We believe he died on a stake. And the conversation ensued from there. Very interesting, I might add. And then we have uh, the, the unbelieving world that says that, that Jesus merely went unconscious, that he woke sometime after he went to the tomb. And then we have the late Chris Hitchens saying, we ought to just disbelieve the whole thing. Let me say this by way of introduction. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ is an indisputable fact. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ is an indisputable fact. I want you to note the array of impressive witnesses. You remember what Mr. Hitchens said. We don't have any credible witnesses. So I want to contradict what Hitchens says and say we have an array, we have a a whole cadre of witnesses who verify his death. And I will just list a few of them. The first is Matthew. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, Matthew says this, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. You know what that means? It means he he died. He died. He died a, a real death. You might say it this way, and I don't say this to be irreverent, but I say it to, to wake some of you up. Jesus was dead as a doornail. Kaput. Gone. Game over. Demons squealing. Satan clenching his fists. Roman soldiers, happy beyond all measure. Enemies of Jesus, the the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, excited that they fulfilled the mission to kill the man from Nazareth. Another witness that emerges in the pages of the New Testament is the centurion. In Matthew 27, 54, we read this, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. And we have one whose heart was much softer than these other scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law. We have the witness that we know as Joseph of Arimathea. This disciple of Jesus went to Pilate, and he asked for the body of Jesus. Keep in mind that he went to Pilate after Jesus, what? Died. After Jesus died, Joseph Joseph of Arimathea approached Pilate, and he asked for his body. Matthew 27, 59 and 60. And Joseph took the body, and he wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, and he laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. We have other witnesses that are also sympathetic to the plan and the purposes and the mission of Jesus, and we know them as Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. We don't have time to talk about that. How would you like to be known as the other Mary? <laughs> I'd be like saying Jerene and the other Jerene. Oh, wow, man, what am I, a chopped liver? So we have, we have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. 
And then we have, as I've already mentioned, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees. And these were individuals who you know cooked up a plan. And it had been several weeks, week after week after week, where they had, they had desired to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. And we find in Matthew chapter 27 that these individuals, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they testify that Jesus Christ, the man from Nazareth, is dead. I find it interesting. They refer to Jesus as the imposter. (laughs) Can you imagine an official like this referring to the creator of the universe? As an imposter. You know, it was the creator of the universe that gave that man the ability to wag his tongue and move his lips and utter words like, he's the imposter. It's so counterintuitive. But they say this, the imposter said, notice, while he was still alive. Now, if you say to your friend, oh, back when, back when Frank was still alive, what's the implication? He died. He's dead. He's dead as a doornail. So the imposter said, while he was still alive, now he's citing from Jesus. After three days, I will rise. And over and over again in the pages of the New Testament, Jesus would tell the onlookers, destroy this temple, and in three days, it will raise. After three days, I will rise. He would say it over and over again. And so don't miss the significance of the words here. The one, the ones rather, who hated Jesus, the ones who hated Jesus finally got their way. The words, while he was still alive, is a clear signal that they witnessed his death with their own eyes. Once again, they were very aware of the promise that Jesus had made to the onlookers that he would rise again. One day he would rise again. I find it interesting and highly ironic that these religious zealots and skeptics who rejected the claims of Jesus are really jittery. Do you sense that in this passage as they go to Pilate? Secure the tomb. We don't want anything to happen. We think he's a fraud. We think we've proved he's a fraud. But now if the disciples creep in in the middle of the night and they move that huge stone and they steal the body, claiming that Jesus has been raised from the dead, then that fraud will be worse than the first, they say. Number six, then we have the evidence of the soldiers. The evidence of the soldiers, as the New Testament tells us, they were there. They were a part of the crucifixion process. Most interesting for me is the seventh witness. I want you to keep in mind that the book of 1 Corinthians says that there were over 500 individuals, over 500, as Paul tells us, that were witnessing the resurrected Christ. But finally, Pilate Pilate says this in Matthew 27, verse 65, <laughs> to the scribes and the Pharisees. You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. Will you mark that once again in your mind? Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and they made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. And so here is a, a very impressive array of eyewitnesses to the brutal death of Jesus. 
Some of these people, some of these witnesses, loved Jesus with all their hearts. Some of these individuals hated Jesus, but the one thing that all of these witnesses had in common was this. They testified that Jesus of Nazareth was dead. That's the first point, that Jesus was dead. The second point I want you to see is equally significant and filled with hope, and it's the reason we can come together today to worship, and that is that Jesus Christ was resurrected. Jesus Christ was resurrected. And as I just shared with you, that the the death of Jesus is a historical fact grounded in reality, so too is the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is an indisputable fact that is grounded in reality. I want to have you look forward with me at Matthew chapter 28 and see that the resurrection here is a fact that is indisputable. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was an earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled. Can you imagine? Use your imaginations here. You, you are involved in the crucifixion of Jesus. And now an angel shows up and scoots the stone out of the way. What would you be thinking if you're a soldier? Oh boy, you're scared to death. So they trembled and they became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met with them and said, Greetings! And they took him, or they, they, they came up, and they took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so we see here the, the indisputable fact of the resurrection. I want to have you hold your finger in Matthew chapter 27 and 28 and move forward a few books with me to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And look with me at Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, we see that the apostles are also proclaiming the fact of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 32 of chapter 2, here's what Scripture tells us. This Jesus God raised up. That is, He was resurrected. And of all that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father of promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seen and hearing. And so we see here that the, the apostles are, are making bold testimony. They are bold witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But we also see in Acts chapter 4, verse 1, that the apostles continue now to testify. Acts 4, verse 1. And they were speaking to the people, the, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed. Why? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You see, that was at the very core of the apostles' job description, to tell the people about Jesus, to tell the people that he came to live a life that we could never live. That is to fulfill the law of God, to obey it perfectly. But they would also tell the people that he died a death that you all deserve to die. You all deserve to die. That is the people in the first century. That is every person here at Christ Fellowship. Those of you that know me, when you ask me, and Edith Hansen is my favorite, she says, Pastor, how you doing? I say, better than I deserve. And now I ask Edith, Edith, how are you doing? She says, better than I deserve. Maybe we ought to change it a little bit. How are you doing today? Better than I deserve. I deserve to go to hell. You see, that was the mission of the apostles, to help people understand. And if you think it was not controversial then, think again. No one wants to think that they're on the path to hell in the first century or in our generation. But apart from grace, apart from the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are on our way to eternal judgment. And so the apostles proclaim his resurrection. Paul the apostle is one of the other men who powerfully proclaimed the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Also in Acts 17, verse 18, we read these words. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. That was at the very heart of the apostles' ministry, to teach and preach the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said as much in Romans chapter 1, 3, and 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Basically, what Paul means is this. If, if Jesus didn't really die, and if Jesus was not really raised from the grave, if he was not really raised from the dead, then I'm wasting my time. Peter the Apostle is numbered among those who also proclaim the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He said in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so walk through with me. We've learned that Jesus was dead. We've learned that Jesus was resurrected, but there's a third reality that I want you to see, and I trust that this blows you away. I trust that this encourages you. I actually hope that it causes you to chuckle a little bit to learn the reality of this final point, and it is this. No one could stop him. No one could stop the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about the strategy now of the Pharisees. The Pharisees come to Pilate, if you look with me at verse 64, and you can imagine, if you have a good imagination, right? You think, right? You with me? Okay, so it's kind of like that. They're coming in, and they're going to have a little chat with Pilate. And here's what they say. 
Order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he's risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And so the Pharisees say to Pilate, secure the tomb. Secure the tomb. The word secure in the Greek means this, to to make secure beyond a reasonable shadow of doubt. In other words, make it so secure that there is no possibility that anyone can take the body or that if Jesus were not really dead, he could slip out in some way, shape, or form. Prevent the disciples from stealing the body and telling the world that his words came true. He had risen from the dead. Well, then look at Pilate. And this is where I hope you will chuckle with me for a bit. Pilate says, essentially, fine, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it secure as you can. Is anyone chuckling with me about that? (laughs) Think about it. A creature says to some other creatures, make the tomb as secure as you can. That is to say, the creature may have something up on the Creator. I sense you're chuckling now, right? You, you see what I, what I, what I just I cracked up as I was studying this passage. Go and make it secure as you can. Are you kidding me? The creature would dare to limit the power of the Creator. And then think about this. Who actually is in the tomb? It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has existed from all eternity. Go make it as secure as you can. Yet Jesus Christ, the one who created all things, the one who sustains all things, is the one in the tomb. You may recall when God put Job under a a brief stint of what you might call cross-examination. He says, can you bind the the chains of Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth gatherings that they may go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the inward parts or given understanding to the mind? Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or who can tilt the water skins of the heavens when the dust runs into a mass and the clods stick fast together? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in their thicket? Who provides the raven its prey when its young ones cry to God for help and wander about for lack of food? It reminds me also of the psalmist who said in Psalm 147 of God, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is the Lord and abundant in power. He under, his understanding is beyond measure. Later in, one, in Psalm 147, we read this. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes the wind blow and the waters flow. Listen, nothing, absolutely nothing could prevent Jesus 
from rising again. The best laid plans of men could not prevent Jesus from rising again. The Pharisees, the chief priests, the soldiers, and even Pontius Pilate were no match for the sovereign pleasure of God. They were no match for the invincible resurrection power of God. Human ingenuity could not stop the resurrection. Human technology could not stop the resurrection. Demons in hell could not stop the resurrection. And so, when Pilate instructs the soldiers to make the tomb as secure as you can, this is a new one for me. I had not considered this before this message. When we read that he tells the soldiers to make the the tomb as secure as you can, I think we might have the funniest, most ridiculous statement in all of Scripture. Are you kidding me? To make it as secure as you can? Our God is unassailable. Our God is unconquerable. Our God is unstoppable. Our God is unbeatable. This is the invincible power, the resurrection power of the living God. I want you to think for a moment as we close about God's sovereignty the powerful nature of God's sovereignty as we close with some very important statements concerning the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Five in particular. I want you to see first that the resurrection of Jesus Christ secured our justification. Justification, when we are justified, it's we stand innocent in the sight of God. You know, when we die, and all of us will die, When we die and we stand before our Creator, we will face the, we will stand before the bar of a holy God. The judge will determine are we in Christ or are we outside of Christ? The judge will determine if we are justified or we are not justified. All those who are justified are those who have been acquitted. All those who are justified are those who have been forgiven of all their sins. All those who are justified, as Paul says in Romans 5, have peace with God. All those who are justified, there is no condemnation to any of you who are in Christ. It is the resurrection of Jesus that secured our justification. Romans 4.25 says it like this, that who was Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. Secondly, notice with me that the resurrection of Jesus then is the basis of our hope. 1 Peter 1.3, we looked at this earlier. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is to say, no resurrection, no hope. No resurrection, then Paul's preaching is in vain. No resurrection, then my preaching is in vain. I might as well just sell insurance. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the basis of our hope. You recall in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, that God foreordained the cross. 
He determined that Jesus would die in eternity past, that God raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Number three, please see with me that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ enables us to live a new life. It enables us to live a new life. Paul says in Romans 6, 4, We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You may remember that in John chapter 10, Jesus said to those in the crowd that the thief comes to to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have life abundantly. Number four, notice that the resurrection of Jesus Christ frees us from the slavery of sin. Romans says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Finally, as I've already alluded when we talked about justification, the resurrection of Jesus Christ opens a path to to know God, be forgiven by God, and spend eternity with God. I remember several years ago, I heard John MacArthur tell a story where he boarded an airplane and he sat next to a man who was obviously a, a Muslim man. And they entered into a conversation, and it didn't take too many minutes for the Muslim man to figure out that John, John MacArthur was a, a Bible-believing Christian, that he was a pastor. And one of the first things that Dr. MacArthur told this Muslim man, or I should say he asked him, he said, as a Muslim, do you believe you can know God personally? And if you know anything about Islam, you know what his answer will be. The answer was, oh, no, I cannot know the God personally. And John MacArthur went on to describe how, well, I, I can tell you that I, I know God personally. And the man said, you know the God personally? He couldn't believe it. Because in Islam, there is no personal God. And so Dr. MacArthur spent the remainder of their conversation explaining the gospel. And this point precisely, that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ opens a path to know God personally, to be forgiven of all your sins, and spend eternity with God in heaven on the new earth. Jesus said to the woman in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked this penetrating question. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And this is the question that I pose to, to each of us today. Do you believe this? Do you believe that, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? For if you believe... If you believe, you will live. If you believe, you will not perish. You say, what do you mean perish? If you believe, you will not endure the white hot judgment of God. Instead of enduring the judgment of God, you will be forgiven of God. If you believe, you will not face the almighty wrath of God for your sin. You might say, but pastor... 
I'm a guest here today. You, you have no idea what I've done. You have no idea of the things that I have thought. You have no idea of the things I've said. You have no idea of some of the activity that I've been involved in. You don't know the kind of life I'm living. No, that's true. I don't know exactly what you've done. I don't know what kind of sins have you in a, a chokehold. I don't know if you're battling pornography. I don't know if you uh, have cheated on your income taxes for 2015. I don't know if you're stealing from your employer. I don't know if you're, you're breaking laws and trying to get away from it. I don't know if you're just a, a run-of-the-mill sinner like all of us. But I do know that the Bible addresses every sinner who is being choked by sin. The Bible says this to every sinner that trust Jesus, and such were some of you. And I pray that that phrase would, would stand out in someone's mind, in someone's heart today, that you say, Pastor, you have no idea the things I've done, some of the things I've said, some of the things I dreamed about. They're horrible. They're horrible. I don't want anyone to ever find out. But the Scripture says, but such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so today, on the basis of the authoritative Word of God, I can say, on the basis of the resurrection, you can stand forgiven. You can walk out of Christ's fellowship today and say, I know the God personally. And I know that Jesus resurrected from the grave. And I know that he has forgiven me of all my sins. I can stand among the forgiven. And so review with me. Jesus died. Jesus was resurrected. And finally, no one could stop him. And that leads us to a few closing comments. That is this, that there are only two paths before us today. There are only two paths that we can walk upon for the remainder of our lives. The first path is what I like to refer to as the path of rejection. The path of rejection. The path of rejection is the path that many, if not most people these days are walking on, especially in the United States of America. This is the path of the chief priests, the Pharisees, and Pilate. This is a path of of self-sufficiency. This is a path of self-determination. But the Bible warns us there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. The path of rejection is a path of of pride. It is a path of presumption. The Word of God warns us yet again, but God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. The path of rejection is a path of unbelief, a verse that we have looked at many, many times over the years. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. If you're here today and you say, I have turned away from the living God, I have a sinful, unbelieving heart, the scriptures would say this, you're on the path of rejection. Moreover, this path is the path that leads to eternal judgment. Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the path of rejection. Some of you are are treading upon that path today. And as 
pastor and, and your friend, I, I, would, I would plead with you to turn from the path of rejection, to walk on the second path, which is what I like to call the path of resurrection life. The one who has been resurrected, that is Jesus Christ, he offers every person eternal life. Once again, Jesus said to the woman, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you remember what he ended up with? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? So I would ask, are you walking on a path of rejection this day? That is paved with pain and frustration and loneliness that ultimately leads to eternal judgment? Or are you walking on the path of resurrection life? Once again, our God is unconquerable. Our God is unstoppable. Our God is unbeatable. Our God is unassailable. This is the resurrection power of God. This is the invincible resurrection power of God. My prayer today is that if you were on the path of rejection, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day where you embrace for the first time, you understand for the first time that Jesus really died that God raised Jesus from the grave, that he was really resurrected, and that nothing could stop him. That same resurrection power that was operative in the Lord Jesus Christ is now available to you. Every Christ follower has and experiences that resurrection power on a daily basis. It's yours, and it's yours for the taking if you will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That means to turn from your sinful ways and to trust the Lord Jesus, believing that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is your only hope, not religion, not works, not saying the right kind of prayers, but trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the hope that you have given us in your son. Thank you for raising him from the dead. And thank you, Jesus, that you are now intimately involved with your creatures. As you are seated at the right hand of God, you rule, you reign, and you offer every sinner eternal life. Indeed, we are all sinners here today, God. And so I pray that there would be someone who would cry out, God of the universe, I acknowledge that I have sinned against you. I have broken your holy law. Indeed, if I died today, I would deserve to go to hell. But on the basis of what I've heard today, I recognize that Jesus died a real death on the cross, that you raised him from the dead on the third day, that nothing could stop that resurrection from taking place. And I ask now that you would forgive me of all my sins. I trust in Jesus. I turn from my sin. My deepest desire is now to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of all things. And now, God, as we close our service with some songs, I pray that these would be songs that would remind us of the power of the resurrection and the beauty and the, the unbelievable nature of the gospel. May you turn our hearts in your direction. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.